Welcome to Crush Disappointments. In this episode, I'm chatting to Alec about his crush on Mia Sara, who is most known for playing Sloane Peterson, the girlfriend of Ferris Bueller, in the 1986 film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Alec also was aware of her in the 1985 film Legend, which was a fantasy film um, that I'd never heard of, but is actually the film that Tom Cruise made just before Top Gun and the film that Ridley Scott made after Blade Runner. In that darkness, played by Tim Curry, looking like Satan and looking amazing as Satan, wants to kill the unicorns to bring along total darkness forever. And Jack, played by Tom Cruise, and Princess Lily, played by Mia Sara, try to stop him. As you can tell by that synopsis, it's uh, quite difficult to explain. So Alec and I were talking about the film for a little bit, but I think it's quite impenetrable for anyone who hasn't seen the film. So I've cut that out and we just start with a discussion about, well, a quote about the relationship between Jack and Princess Lily. It's a little bit of an issue with the audio here. I basically set up Alex Mike too quiet, so the audio that's coming out of that is not super high quality and there's a bit of background noise. Uh, I don't think, I think we can deal with it though. Um, here's the crush. Okay, so Michael Leader from Den of Geek says that the chemistry between the leads is hamstrung by mannered, stuffy direction and an utterly ridiculous script. Sarah seems to fare better than Tom Cruise because Lily has more to do. But even then, her character mostly amounts to unfortunate displays of curiosity. Her desire to touch a unicorn unwittingly puts the whole world in danger and all it takes is for darkness to steal her innocence away is to flash a shiny necklace in her direction. So, um, curiosity. Was that a quality that you liked about her? Were you a curious kid? I was very curious, yeah. I think... I feel like I've always had a bit of a fatalistic attitude with, like, stuff going wrong. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I was definitely just like, well, yeah, she, of course she's going to find something interesting. And of course things are going to fuck up and they're going to fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of tough shit and also feel bad for you. But, like, it happens all the time to everybody. We all meet Satan at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think that's probably why I identified with her as well because I didn't really understand I remember not understanding why people got so angry about her like she was touching unicorn and then I remember seeing Tim Curry get angry about stuff and I was like why are you getting angry I (laughs) I just didn't understand like the intricacies of these human interactions because I was like a little kid Mm -hmm. and I was just like just let her let her be herself and explore the world (laughs) So was that something that you related to in terms of being a kid and not understanding adults? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just like Probably. walking into traffic. It's like, why is everyone having a go at me? <laughs> this is normal. Probably, probably, yeah. And I definitely remember, definitely remember not understanding why I was getting shouted at for things. Like if I, <laughs> if I did something stupid, it wasn't because I was stupid or naughty or something it was just because i wanted to see what happened mm. so i remember i just really stupid thing when i was i don't know how old it was probably like six or seven um i was on ones were common with my dad and we were playing football and i had one of those like spongy plastic blow up balls it wasn't mm. like a proper football um and it had started to deflate so it was getting like that really nice kind of it's got some give but you can still kick it around like a football mm. stage um i took it over to the um, like really big fence that ran alongside the railway. I was like, this would probably, if I squeeze it hard enough, go through these bars. 
So I just pushed it between the bars. I was like, yeah, it does fit. I just kept pushing it. I kept pushing it. Pushed it through the bars and it just went onto the tracks. I was like, why did I do that? <laughs> and then my dad obviously was just a bit pissed off. So I pushed my football through the bars onto the railway. Um, and he's like, I'm not going to ask them to get it back for you. It's stupid. And I was like, okay, well, fair. <laughs> so you were the kids. Uh, you remember, did you ever watch those videos at school with like, there'd be like a power cable and they'd be like, kids would go and like lob their frisbee into it. And they'd be like, don't do this. And you'd be like, why not? This is, this seems like loads of fun. I think if someone told me not to do something, I'd be like, okay, you're an adult. You know what you're talking about. I'm not going to do that one thing. But. If you change the object in that thing, I'm going to do it because you haven't told me specifically not what, to do so it. So did you get uh, into trouble a lot when you were learning in school? No, I really didn't. I think, so I I did stupid things, but I also had a lot of manners. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's from, like, being part Japanese and having a Japanese mum. So, that, like, a lot of Japanese culture is about etiquette and, like, being polite and respecting your elders, like, really, really strongly. So... I was definitely that way, especially in school. I wasn't, like, a bully, and, like, people didn't really get bullied in my primary school and stuff like that, so it was all pretty chill. Mm -hmm. But I would just do stupid stuff. Like, I remember um, we would also try and break out of school by um, trying to carve away one of the bricks in the wall, (laughs) (laughs) in the perimeter wall of the playground. It was the same thing, so, like... Don't get into a van if a creepy guy comes out of it and is like, I've got some sweets if you get into my van. Mm. But then break out of school isn't the same as that. So break out of school and just run around in public by yourself. That's fine. Mm. So we would like have this one brick. I think it was like semi hidden behind a tree in the playground. And we would just like try and scrape it away. (laughs) I don't know why we thought getting rid of like half of one brick <laughs> by scraping through it would help us break out of school yeah. but we would just do stupid shit like that so yeah, i wouldn't get into trouble i would just do kind of pointless stupid stuff and then sometimes pay for it by like getting my ball on the train tracks and not getting it back ever again and stuff like that so if i jump forward to Ferris Bueller as a, as a touching point. Did did you ever skip school when you got older? Like, did you, if you're enjoying school in primary school, did that ever change? Like, when you got to be a teenager, I only ah oh, such a goody two shoes. I only <laughs> skipped school by pretending to be sick. So I would Ferris never, Bueller. yeah, I would never like um, just not go to school or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I super super identified with Ferris Bueller because it was the whole like stay at home and be sick. But then. I never did anything with it. <laughs> I'd just stay at home and be sick and be like, yes, no school, nothing to do. Just sit here, maybe go to sleep again. I can't sleep. Shit. Oh, oh, Mum's coming, pretend to be sick. That was fun. Yeah, it was just crap. How did you pretend to be sick? What was your technique? One thing, don't tell my mama. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> Thinking back on it now, I imagine she probably knew what was happening, but it was just like, yes, no point, like, disputing what's happening here, because it's just, it's so elaborate. <laughs> um, so she brought me some Japanese tea that was warm, and I, at this point, had learnt that checking my temperature regularly was a thing you did when you were ill to prove that you were ill. <laughs> so um, I dipped the thermometer into the tea. And I was like, 
my body could never be this temperature. <laughs> it would be slightly cooler than this temperature. So I shook it down to what I thought was like high temperature, but not too high that would like send me to hospital if it was real. <laughs> um, but now I don't remember how I figured that number out because I still don't know what is a high temperature. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. I just, I shook it for a bit and just assumed, like, that's higher than it was when, like, I wasn't using it, so this is going to be convincing. Mm-hmm. And then my mum looked at it and she was like, oh, you are ill. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was the ruse. Uh-huh. So uh, if you're trying to get out of school, did you like school when you were a teenager or? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the point was. I think I just sometimes just got a bit bored of it, a bit tired of it. Like, I think primary school was fun at playtime. And then in the lessons, because I found it easy, it was all right, but it was just quite boring. Um, and then secondary school, it was the same up until about year nine. So up until that point, it was just like same kind of thing every day. A lot of sort of social stress because there's so many people. And I think secondary school was probably the time I started getting a bit, like, aware of how my, I guess, like, social stress and my happiness correlated. So I loved primary school. I loved hanging out with everyone. Got a bit bored. Um, And then I really enjoyed secondary school, but then realised that I just needed a break sometimes. So I was like, mental need for break should essentially like validate pretending to be ill Mm. sort of thing so yeah it wasn't that i didn't enjoy school generally it was just that sometimes i just wanted to not go to school yeah yeah so uh, what would be something that would fund a social stress is that like school hierarchies or like what is that i think my say it now i don't know exactly how i felt about it at the time but i feel like social hierarchies weren't a huge thing at my school I think it was more doing well was a big thing and teachers could be really scary like when you were in the lower years there were like super scary ones like Mr Madigan if you're listening <laughs> um, was horrendously scary and he uh, coached rugby sometimes and I played rugby so it was just like too much pressure from this person and then we had these things called commendations so if you did something well you got a teacher signature in your uh, school planner and then you'd get like different tiers of award based on how well you're doing so it's just like nerd points essentially um so i got a lot of commendations and then that just started to get really stressful because it was like but this other person has too few commendations and they're still doing good things so i feel bad for them but this other person has loads of them I don't understand how they're getting all of them it must be the teacher and it's just like too much Mm -hmm. stuff so then like I was I ended up like measuring my goodness as a pupil Mm -hmm. and as a human being on these accommodation things (laughs) so it's just like it was just too much stress based on being successful Mm -hmm. in school was that something that you were putting against like your friend group or was that other kids outside of your friendship group that you were like rating yourself against yeah, it was, I think my friendship groups were a lot more, um, a lot less to do with studying. Mm-hmm. So I think it was actually really nice that none of us really cared 
if any of us did better or worse than anyone else in our friendship groups. It was more like, this nerd in the class is doing really well, so I need to beat this nerd kind of thing. So it was more like, within a class, who is doing the best kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which is very strange, I think, for teenage boys to be worrying about, but that was that was the culture in my school. Is the culture in, in terms of you think that the teachers were like fueling that? To kind of, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, thinking back on it, I was a little bit weird, <laughs> but yeah, it was super competitive and like, I don't know, especially with um, sports as well. Mm-hmm. Like sports is obviously just going to be like a super competitive thing, but if you were good at sports and you were good at studying, then you were like on a different level mm-hmm. to like the standard students and it was all a bit sad. Um, but like the teachers were super invested and they would get like really angry if you weren't doing well mm-hmm. enough in something and people like in secondary school people would get bullied for not essentially being a success I guess in the eyes of the school which is really sad yeah that's such a different experience to my school where it was like any uh, successes you had you had to hide from everyone because people were <laughs> yeah. it was kind of like uh, you had to pretend that you didn't well, I certainly pretended that I wasn't trying hard or I didn't give a yeah, shit just yeah. so that like, my peer group would think that I was cool. But um, this is from Roz Cavani. So Teen Dreams, reading the teen film from Heathers to Veronica Mars. So what Ferris Bueller brings to the teen genre ultimately is a sense of how it's possible to be cool and popular without being rich or a sports hero. Unlike the heroes of weird science, Ferris is computer savvy without being a nerd or a geek. So... Would that be a sort of person who would have existed in your school as in terms of like being nerdy, but also popular? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so if someone was, I guess, outwardly nerdy and doing well, they would get bullied. If someone was outwardly sporty and doing well, they would just be held up as this paragon of virtue mm-hmm. who's just succeeding at being a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think... I feel like a lot of stock got put into being sort of socially adept Mm -hmm. as well. And I think, as is probably very, very common, if you're good at sports and like you work in teams a lot in secondary school, you just end up finding finding it easier to talk to people. Mm -hmm. And if you're by yourself a lot more, reading a lot and being outwardly nerdy, you just find it harder to talk to people. Um, So I feel like that ended up being the pattern with everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think also it was really fun because there would be a lot of outwardly nerdy people in my school who would just embrace it really, really hard. Mm. And that was excellent. Um, there was this guy called Stefan in the year above me who was just like the nerdiest person I'd ever met in my life. But we became quite good friends because he got the train back with me. Um, and the journey was really long because school's in Kingston. And I lived in Wandsworth and Tooting, and he lived even further away than that. So we got the train back sometimes, and we just end up chatting about stuff. And we ended up like trading Duel Masters cards and stuff, and just being massive nerds. Um, but I think I was very lucky because I was interested in lots of different things. So I was interested in being a nerd, but I was also interested in playing rugby. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of made friends in all of the different groups, mm-hmm. which I think just very very luckily sort of saved me from being some kind of pariah mm. yeah because i mean that's very very spewly he's like 
all the different they in fact they even um the teaching assistant even like lists all the different groups and how he's popular with all of them yeah yeah but so i didn't see ferris bueller's day after i think i was in my 20s and i remember the first time i watched it, i hated ferris like, i couldn't stand it really um watched a couple days ago and i was more on board with him but still he's not my favorite person but i think if i'd watched him when i was a teenager i think i would have hated him more mm. because he was that thing of being of being all those things of being nerdy and cool and also having like a hot girlfriend. Yeah. And I feel like that wasn't my experience. So the uh the only time I came close to having a girlfriend in school, I, w- I basically I'd I had a watch and I'd smashed it to the front and I was trying to it was at lunch and I was trying to pick out the bits of a compass. At which point these two girls came over to ask on behalf of their friend mm-hmm. if I wanted to go out with them. Classic. <laughs> which point I flicked a bit of the uh watch into my eye (laughs) and so then i thought it was the best idea to then hide under the table and so i was pretty much just been hiding on the table while my friends were kicking me while they they were while these two girls were standing there sort of perplexed and then i can't quite remember how it i think i just recently got a mobile phone and they were asking what my number was but i didn't know it because i wasn't really texting anyone my mother just got it as like a safety precaution yeah and then i uh went home that weekend and like memorize my phone number so when she would ask again and then it just didn't <laughs> oh no so that was i mean to be fair she was right to not ask again because that was a horrendous thing to do to someone i can't remember she eventually showed up i just remember being under the table and screaming like it's in my eye oh god uh, um was your experience at school did you date at school was that a thing in secondary school school in general at any point yeah 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 how, how was that really cringy <laughs> i can't think about it without wanting to like it's kind of like wanting to throw up but from my soul and my heart <laughs> it's horrible Why? it's just like a lot of it started from msn okay so no bravery whatsoever required mm-hmm. just for some reason managing to add a girl on msn who's like a friend of a friend of a friend and being like oh my god you know Tom. I know Tom. <laughs> Does Tom get your bus? Tom goes to my school. Isn't that oh, small world, eh? Look at this emoji. They weren't called emojis, were they? Emoticons. Yes. Look at this emoticon. <laughs> and look at this jumble of letters that looks kind of like a face. Do you love me yet? Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you in my screen name and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was so horrible. Um, and then, so got through all of that and then there was one girl called Zara when I was in like year eight um too early <laughs> we we started you know we, we hooked up over MSN um and then eventually just crossed paths at the bus at the bus station where like most people congregated after school and just didn't speak to each other it was horrible <laughs> I was like, I can't talk to her. It's just awkward, you know? We can, we can chat on MSN later. And I, <laughs> I left and I was like, this is horrific. I hate myself. I hate my life. Why am I supposedly dating this person? This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then so that continued for a couple of weeks. And I was like, we should probably end it. <laughs> Obviously over MSN. <laughs> and then deleted her from my screen name. It was all very, very awkward. It was strange how much of a, like, I don't know, like, Emerson was a massive deal in terms of, like, my social yeah. standing. Like, it was like, get home, get on Emerson. And then my 
display name on MSN was so sexual. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, repulsively so, like, like, misogynistic and gross. Did you have, like, rap lyrics or something? No, it was something that I think I'd Googled, like, I think it was because at school I wasn't, like, dating anyone. I was was with these guys who were, like, I don't know, a bit... Arseholes. So I thought, like, I really needed to, like, prove that I was, like, heterosexual or, like, <laughs> like was it red-blooded and, like, and I just, so I googled, like, MSN names and just this repulsive, like, but they were all so impressed. They were, like, they were, like, yeah, it was strange. And then there was oh, one God. girl that I was talking to and she I was in my, one of my classes and on the front of some project I'd made of geography, I'd put this alien with a speech bubble saying like, here's my work or something. Mm. And then I concocted this whole thing where I told her that he was like, not like a pet, but like a thing that I like, I'd put everywhere. Like I'd always carry a picture of him <laughs> and I like would put it on all my work and it was important. And then like, I remember, pr- I remember printing one off to like keep the mystique going. So when I saw her, I like showed her the picture. I was like, yeah, I see I've got it on me. Weird. Like, I don't know why I Because thought, you fancied her. Yeah, I thought this was... I don't know if I was just trying to make conversation or, like, it was... It didn't work. It wasn't um, a bulletproof plan. Do you think it was, like, I'm I'm paternal? Maybe. I'm, I think it was just more I'm interesting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit a, bit... a little bit off the wall. A little bit quirky. I would have loved it. Yeah. I would have gone out with you, yeah. Um... But I can't remember, like, having good conversations on MSN. Like, it was just a lot of, like, what are you up to, not much you. And then... W-U-U. What's that? What are you, are you up to? Yeah. yeah. And then, although I did read something like the, the difference between, like, then and now is with MSN, you'd always be like, G to G to G. Yeah. And you'd yeah. sign off. But now, like, because we've got our phones, like, you can never fully be off. And so yeah. conversations don't end. And yeah, that's yeah. All the dodgy stuff surrounding that. Um... Yeah, and then I, I had this one friend on there who I'd get to send me music and then I'd make songs, change the lyrics of songs to being about shit. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? The lyrics you change oh, God, to, so, and the, just say shit? Yeah, no, there was a thing that had gone on in my school, I think in primary school, yeah. of this porn site called Tub Girl. Tub Girl? It was a girl, I believe, shitting and pissing at the same time. And it was a thing where that tub just became like the word at school that people just shout out in class. And That's so it was like changing lyrics from like, I think Nelly Furtado's Man Eater became yeah. Tub Meter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> it was like, you got to check your tub meter? I don't know what it was. Oh, so you're measuring how much she shat and pissed But it wasn't about her anymore. I never even looked at the website. I think I maybe checked out years and years later. But I think someone's older brother had found it. I don't know why. It just became like a phenomenon at my school. Good Lord. Um, So what were your conversations like on MSN? (laughs) I think... So I think that's definitely what it was like with um, boys. It was all just about... It was either about music... Mm -hmm. Because MSN was very, like, it overlapped with emo phase. So it was all about what kind of music. And, like, we'd read Kerrang! magazine and be like, oh, this band is called Glass Shard Willies or whatever. And then it would be, like, the three 
fans in the whole world love this band it would make us feel very special so we talk about it a lot and then we change our profile picture to one of the members of the band and people be like who's that we'd be like oh, you don't know because you're not cool enough and you don't read Kerrang like we do um, and then that wouldn't just be boys actually it would be um, people I didn't know from my own school um, it would be people from different schools who I'd like managed to branch into how were you meeting them? Was that just through MSN or like? So I think actually, I actually really strongly remember the connection. So it was, I was friends with um, someone called Emma who went to Tiffin Girls. Mm-hmm. It was like the counterpart to... Oh, so yours was a boys school? Yeah. Oh, okay. But it made us so much worse. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, and then she was friends with someone um, from childhood. And then that person was friends with someone else. Mm-hmm. And then that someone else became one of my very close friends. And we would talk about like music and stuff. And then I would eventually like meet all of her friends. And then that's how, that's how I got into this kind of emo circle. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would be friends with people from primary school who would introduce me to their friends in their new secondary school. Oh, so primary school was mixed sex. Yeah. So primary school, because cause London, Primary school was in Wandsworth, and then my secondary school was in Kingston, which is quite far away. Mm. So people from my primary school all dispersed across London, essentially. Mm. So then I ended up being friends with people from all, all over London because, like, through my primary school. Um, but yeah, primary school was mixed. It was quite small. It was, like, 30 people in my whole year. Mm-hmm. And then secondary school was, like, 150 people in my year. So it was, just like, huge expansion. Yeah. Did, uh, did you... Uh, feel there was like a transition between going to an all boys school did you like notice it did you or were you just at an age where it didn't really make a difference yeah i i didn't even note it somehow i was just very chilled out i think i started missing girls when i realized that having friends who were girls was like a sign of popularity i was like damn it i knew girls in primary school (laughs) i think that's where the draw um, of like making friends with girls over MSN came from it was like if you know more than one girl on MSN who isn't related to you then you're you're like top tier popular mm-hmm. so it ended up being like a popularity measure for sure mm-hmm. oh I also just remembered actually one person I met on MSN um, I ended up like ended up being like my first semi-actual girlfriend mm-hmm when I was like 14 um, and I remember thinking at the time that she looked like Mia Sara <laughs> and then thinking back on it now it's, it was just completely wishful thinking <laughs> but I was like oh my god it's me Ferris it's <laughs> you Mia Sara but yeah Sloan that was the one alright okay I'm going to be jumping all over the place so Antonia Sanna in A Villainous Appetite Eros Madness and the Food Analogy in Hannibal and Legend so I've edited this quote, take out the Hannibal bit, so it's just about legend. In legend, there are numerous references to eating, many of them cannibalistic, either literally or figuratively. The encounter between the Dark Lord and Lily is also a reference to the Greek myth of Persephone, who, after being abducted by Hades, is tricked into eating the food of the underworld, specifically a pomegranate seed, which plunges her into an internal bond of undesired matrimony and obligation. Food is one means to conquer and seduce a partner, and also a code word for the cannibalistic consumption of her organs and flesh. The Dark Lord is divided between his serious and sincere love for the female protagonist and his desire to potentially eat her flesh as an expression of personal depravity. So my question is, uh, 
do you associate food with dating? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my relationship with food since I was very small has been absolutely about love for sure because I lived like me and my parents lived with my great granny so my dad's granny um who was Polish and traditionally Polish families are all about feeding your kids Mm -hmm. as much as will fit in their tiny little bodies so they just turn into these little chubby balls Mm -hmm. and a chubby boy is a healthy boy Mm -hmm. so I was a very chubby little boy um and that's absolutely how I experienced love because I would not only be fed because people love me, but then I would be praised for how much I could eat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like a great experience. Um, and now like, that's also how I express love. So it's like feeding people is like, I care about you enough to make you instant noodles. <clears throat> um, but it's funnily enough, I think, the way that has changed is that I now kind of, I think it's quite classic, but like if I'm, if I need to self-soothe, I'll just like have a snack Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But I don't, I don't think I experience love through food from other people now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just like a family thing. Um, But yeah, dating, dating and food is mostly just like me providing food Mm -hmm. and being like, I like you a lot. Have some food kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like being seen to cook well Mm -hmm. is a bit like I'm, I'm not a sexist kind of thing Mm -hmm. because I can cook and I'm a man and you're not a man. Um, but also like a kind of, I just think it's a good thing to have under your belt as well. It's like a skill. So Yeah. So was there a transition between seeing your MSN girlfriend in real life and not wanting to speak to her to like meeting and cooking for people? Like how do you, was there, was that a journey you had to go on to be one that's very like digital world to one that's been like very much person to person? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause I don't even, I don't have any social media now and my whole life. Not even LinkedIn. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> I don't use LinkedIn for anything social, though. <laughs> I'd be on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, I, when I hear about people going on dates through LinkedIn, I just get really... I've never heard this. Yeah. <laughs> <Do you know? laughs> yeah. Like, my old housemate um, met her boyfriend at the time through LinkedIn. Oh, my God. And he was like, I saw you at this talk you doing like you're <laughs> very sexy i just don't understand how that could possibly work but yeah i don't now i don't have any social media i haven't had it for years but when i was dating um as a, a very young teenager um everything's about msn bebo myspace um i made a beautiful myspace by the way mm-hmm. i actually put like at the top as a banner or something, some actual pictures that I'd drawn. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I was king of the computer. Wait, what did you draw? What were they? They were like these weird... Stick men with big dicks. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they were fully fleshed golem-like creatures with small dicks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, they, so they were like, I guess they were like stone golems, but with like trees growing up the top of them. Okay. Like all over. Uh-huh. Um, I just drew them in class one day and ended up perfecting the art of drawing these weird things <laughs> and then just made like a banner of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not too dissimilar to my monster thing that I was showing people to show off. I think it, there's there's definitely something in it as a uh, seduction technique. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then I got I got lots of girlfriends <laughs> looking at my golems. Um, yeah, and then I don't really. I think I started cooking properly at uni, which I think is pretty average, and. I think I learned a lot about cooking from my mum because I would be sat in the kitchen like doing my homework and stuff almost every day from primary school all the way through secondary school until I was like, I don't know, year 10 or something um, while she was making dinner and stuff. So I learned a lot and like she would talk to me about the food she was making and stuff. But I can't really trace back like what changed. I think I just got super bored of social media and then I realised how sad it was making me because I was seeing other people living their social media lives and then knowing them in person being like you're lying essentially mm-hmm. it doesn't really make sense that you're two people um so I just sort of came off that and then food wise I think food and dating started to overlap quite recently probably like just a few years ago mm-hmm. um I think because food is also a massive part of my cultural identity and I think what I think what's nice about dating is sharing culture mm-hmm. um, and a massive way of sharing culture really easily is just through food um, and I don't think I really really don't find people not enjoying food like Japanese food to be insulting I think trying it is the bit that matters Mm -hmm. and then thinking it's gross is fine but you tried it kind of thing Mm -hmm. um because it's just like the investment in that part of you Mm. whereas with msn it was like listen to this track oh my chemical romance is shit fuck you you're a piece (laughs) of shit i hate you um so yeah i think food has always been part of my identity and then I think I've just, like, brought that into dating and, like, shoved it in people's faces. See, I told you I'd be able to just whack out a massive quote <laughs> and then lick it back in. I don't remember any of the food stuff in Legends. Honestly, loads. It's like, um, it starts off, was it when, what's her name, Princess Lily goes into that house and she's, like, eating bits off the table. Mm. And then there's all this stuff where um, the goblins keep referring to how they're going to eat princess lily and then they're on the table and she's being seduced like it's like it's really like actually there a lot um well i might as well do the the super sexual bit there so um ed power in the telegraph so ridley scott's beautiful dark twisted fantasy the making of legend said that legend started out even darker and weirder than what ended up on screen in Schwartzberg's first draft one of the unicorns is shot with a crossbow it jumps up and scratches the princess on the shoulder he says Later, she notices hair splatting out of this nasty wound in the shoulder. She wanders to a pond and sees her reflection in the moonlight. She turns into a beast. Darkness, the Tim Crow character, looms behind and basically seduces her. They are coupling frantically when Jack and the fairies break in to save her. So, not surprisingly, the sex scene was quickly cut. 
you can't have the villain fuck the princess, an, ex- an exasperated producer told Hertz at an early read-through. We went through many drafts, and a lot of strong stuff got muted. The entire sexuality thing in the final version. She wore a black dress and was invited by darkness to sit on a chair that was alive and vaguely repulsed and bubbling. That was it. So the that was it is clearly... The, I guess the author seems a bit pissed off that it wasn't as sexual as he wanted it to be. Um, you said that the black dress scene uh, was... Was it quite threatening? But yeah. like, did you see that as a sexy film or would you prefer the one where they both turn to animals and fuck? <laughs> Thinking back on it now... The animals and fuck. <laughs> <laughs> as a five-year-old, probably I wasn't that invested in it. Being about the, all of the characters shagging each other... <laughs> But I think because my like emotional apparatus was so kind of shit as a child, I was like, it's scary, it's nice, oh it's scary again, oh it's nice. So I can't I can't really think back to any of it being kind of intriguing in that way. Mm-hmm. Um I I do think any of the kind of intimacy like unwelcome intimacy was just scary Mm -hmm. so like the dancing scary ballerina person Mm -hmm. um i distinctly remember her like touching lily on the face or something or like doing something a bit creepy and also dancing and being like sort of boisterous and i just found that really creepy yeah but i remember i definitely remember darkness being very kind of I don't know how to describe it like very muscly and shiny and like ripply mm. and all about trying to bed mm. Lily but I don't I don't really know why I found that I guess not very threatening mm. I think because I just believed in the sort of redemptive arc of the story I wouldn't I didn't think that anything seriously bad was going to happen yeah, there's definitely something quite bestial about his character. And I absolutely saw Darkness as actual flesh, not Tim Curry wearing mm. like a huge rubber thing. Yeah. I was like, he's enormous. He's got so many muscles. That's terrifying. He's very sweaty and stuff. Um, but yeah, like my simple mind would never have <laughs> gone any further than that. Because there's probably something in it in terms of just as well the dress like how she wears the the white dress when she's like pure yeah. and then the black dress yeah. and like it's like Tom Cruise like they're kind of like virginal yeah. like you don't imagine them sort of having sex but then like darkness is all about like I want to fuck <laughs> yeah. um, which probably do darkness so um, what do you think of darkness what do you think of Tim Curry's performance unreal <laughs> so good I remember his voice just being like ridiculous mm-hmm. and cool I think that's also why I didn't find him that threatening because I thought he was really cool. Mm. Um, he was kind of like Darth Vader, but looks even stronger mm. and like he could just pummel Darth Vader into the ground kind of thing. And he was just, he was just excellent. And his eyes were really kind of super calm, but also very evil looking mm. and very piercing. I just thought he was a super cool character and his horns were way too big. Yeah. I think that's part of like the sexual part of it as well because he was just like huge in all the dimensions possible like he's 
king of the underworld and he's also just enormous and his horns are bigger than any kind of like picture of satan i'd ever seen and stuff and it's so many muscles um i felt like the i think pr- something that probably catalyzed why i was so intrigued by um lily turning evil was how similar it was to oh, what's her name the love interest in ghostbusters What's the Gorney Weavers? Yeah, character? yeah. Um, so she gets essentially possessed um, by Zool mm-hmm. and um, goes all evil and also quite sexual. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of thread of like attractive love interest lady goes evil was kind of mirrored in Lily and Darkness, mm-hmm. like that whole thing. So I think I just. Yeah, I don't. I didn't like clock it at the time mm-hmm. at all. But yeah, Tim Curry was <laughs> awesome. So, are you a fan of the Rihanna album "Good Girl Gone Bad"? <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the same. Because yeah. um, with the horns, I think I read today that they were like uh, Tim Curry started to hurt his neck because they were just so massive, and so they had to yeah. hold them out. And I think there was one bit where he like ripped the makeup off and took some of his skin off, and so he had to like because he was just like freaking out, maybe. Really. But, um, the makeup though is amazing, yeah. And I think what's so good about it is Tim Curry's got like such an expressive face, and they don't lose any of that. Like it doesn't just become like a Power Rangers type thing. And Tim, Cur- I just uh, when I was watching it, I just wrote this big n- note saying Tim Curry's mouth. He's just got this amazing like, and obviously like in a, a Rocky Horror Picture Show, that's where he really gets shot off. But this is just like I can't just I just always look at his mouth. Yeah, it's amazing. I so 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 vividly remember his kind of really creepy grin in legend because it like stretches across his whole face and like his i don't know what it is about him sort of gazing down at everyone in a kind of really sort of imposing evil calm way that was that i just thought was really cool Mm -hmm. like no point was i like oh i'm scared of him because he's evil and big i was just like he's a very cool character Mm -hmm. um and yeah tim curry is just amazing even his mouth in home alone is incredible because he like he moves it around and like goes all like angry but then he gets all quite simpering and it's all from his mouth Mm -hmm. definitely and he does so many voiceovers Mm. With his mouth. <laughs> I mean, when you were describing why um, Darkness is so good, you did say muscles quite a lot of times. Was he, uh, as you say, you were into rugby, was he like a body <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why that was such a vivid memory for me. I've never wanted to be like schwarzenegger or anything. I don't know, it's just very, especially because he was bright red as well. Mm-hmm. I think it was just incredibly striking. Um, And whenever I'd encountered Satan... (laughs) In your day-to-day. Yeah, just like hanging out. He wasn't wasn't a very big man. He was just like a normal-looking dude with like tiny little horns. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, he was was definitely a new portrayal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sexy Satan. Yeah, very. I feel like we could talk about this forever. Because you know you were mentioning... um, was it Persephone? Yeah. Uh, eating the pomegranate and stuff. That was one of my favourite Greek myths. I had this book of Greek myths that I read like millions of times. 
That was one of my favourite ones, and I don't know why. I remember the pomegranate, and I remember asking, um, I think it was my granny, because she lived in Spain, asking her to bring a pomegranate <laughs> back from Spain, and my dad was like, we just get one from Spain, please. What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, we brought them back, and it was immediately my favourite fruit, and then that stopped within like a week, but yeah. So you're into Greek myths a lot? Or? Yeah, super, super into them. And I never, like, it was one of the um, kind of redacted versions of all of them. So there's nothing about, like, Zeus having sex with his sister and mother and, like, mm. making his father and stuff like that. It uh, was just, like... Not the good shit. <laughs> it was just kind of... It was just really interesting, fun stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't realise it was like that linked to that bit of legend, but yeah. Yeah, I did wonder why you were eating that pomegranate when I walked in. <laughs> you did seem to be enjoying it. Do you still like pomegranates? No, I went off them very quickly. Because <laughs> <laughs> the little bits got stuck in my teeth. I was like, this is not enjoyable. Why did Persephone bother? Okay, uh, the, and then also in that same um, essay about the food. So, um... The Dark Lord admits to being attracted to a mortal because of her purity, something he definitely lacks. So I'm going to throw this into opposites attract. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you uh, look for people, whether in school or now at any point in your life, who have similar characteristics to you or different characteristics? Definitely similar. But I think my perception of what I'm like has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. So at the time, like, dating someone... I think has always been about how similar they are to me. Um, but like one of, one of the people I dated in secondary school dated was like super Christian and only liked like Maroon 5 and stuff. So when you wore your um, darkness cosplay, they, just weren't, <laughs> they weren't into it. <laughs> um, and then this was when I was into like emo music and stuff. Um, and she was very sporty and I just really didn't give a shit about sport at this point. Um, I think I just, I played rugby quite reluctantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like super into track and field kind of stuff. So looking back on it now, I think everything around us was very different sort of on the outside, but then we were talking MSN, <laughs> no end. So yeah. I guess personality-wise, we were very similar. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of a lot of it is about how similar we are. Yeah. Uh, when you were listening to emo music, does that have like satanic imagery in it, or is that more like metal? I don't even remember. I think it was just a lot of it was a lot of doom and gloom, <laughs> and just being like, "Isn't life?" hard all the time and it was less about like i want satan to rise up and destroy everything um we had a guy in our year who was into like super heavy metal dark evil stuff and um he grew his hair out really long and that was like way too much for me um and then there was maroon five people on the other end of the spectrum so i kind of wanted to be in the middle whereas like my chemical romance sort of like fun music that's also about just being sad most of the time but I was also a very happy person <laughs> I mean I'd like to point out that this is probably the time when Moon Fire in their songs about Jane era and that is a perfect album so uh, oh, <laughs> you get like songs about Jane 
every track on it is a banger. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect album. Anything they've done since then, shit. <laughs> you're bringing too much. You're bringing your own baggage to that album. <laughs> I think actually, I feel like some of that baggage includes one of the girls I fancied in primary school really liking Maroon Five. Mm-hmm. And then being like, oh, she likes Maroon 5. I should like Maroon 5. And then we can, like, kiss each other, mm-hmm. listen to Maroon 5. And I hated it so much. <laughs> I was like, I want us to be together. How can this be true? Yeah. Have you you've seen um, the documentary on uh, Netflix called Hail Satan? Oh. It's about um, this uh, Satanist church. I don't think it's necessarily a church organisation. And they actually, they come across really cool in the documentary. Cause they basically <laughs> are all into the separation of church and state. So they'll go to, say, in the US, there's like a legal building that has like a um, Ten Commandments or like a right. Christian religious um, statue outside. Yeah. They go under the like, I don't know, some sort of legal act or something like about diversity of faiths. Mm. And they'll argue that if that's there, they want their statue of Baphomet <laughs> <laughs> to be outside. And you just have like all these institutions, most of them just freak out and get rid of it because they're just, like, <laughs> and they, they call it this cast iron Baphomet statue. And it's like, they're, they seem fucking cool. I love it so much. That's my kind of thing. Um, What's really weird is that my parents are both Buddhist and my mum grew up Buddhist. Like she grew up in a temple. Her grandfather was head priest of a temple. And she also is into like this unreal dark shit <laughs> I just don't understand it I think it helped it helped me from a very early age understand that humans can be very complex I think that's all my bits about uh, legend so yeah so we've sort of done a bit of Ferris Bueller already but how much later after legend did you see Ferris Bueller probably only like two two years or so okay yeah I was probably like eight eight years old yeah and I guess when you watched that for the first time, were you like, "Shit, it's Princess Lily"? No, no, I don't <laughs> think I, I don't think it was. I mean, it's like a year in between those films. She looks pretty similar. <laughs> I know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was. So, wait, so then you you had an attraction to her as Sloane and Ferris Bueller, but you didn't make the connection that it was the same person. Not immediately, you had no. To. Okay. But then I think I I rewatched Legend like three or four years later, and was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. you're in Ferris Bueller." Um, We've been in love this whole time. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I was just consuming as much kind of film as possible and it just kind of bypassed me, I guess. Yeah. And what is what was the appeal of Sloan? I thought... I think I really liked her style. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was wearing that, like... I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like cowboy jacket. Yeah. Like the tassily bits I thought that was just super cool <laughs> and her hair was all like flowy around it I was just like glorious you're an angel um, and then the whole kind of pretending you're just a normal person but then skiving off score by pretending someone's dead is <laughs> <laughs> really fucked up but yeah I just thought because I just thought she was very cool mm-hmm. and if I was Ferris, then I had to be in love with her. So, yeah. And yeah, she was just very pretty, I think. And also, I think something else was that her, she seemed a bit kind of ethnically ambiguous 
to me at that point. So I was like, that's also a cool thing because you don't look like everybody, mm-hmm. which was nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then if you're, when, once you've seen her in Ferris Bueller, did your crush move over to her in Ferris Bueller or did it just kind of like consolidate her, the actress, as the crush, if that makes sense? Definitely Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Yeah, definitely moved over. Because I don't think I, at that age, I don't think I was thinking about the person who was acting as this person. Mm-hmm. Because like there was no internet. I wouldn't be like, oh, who's she dating now and stuff like that. It was just like, Sloane Peterson is the absolute pinnacle of beauty in the whole world. Yeah. Oh, and I really liked the bit in... Because, you know, they're kind of just, like, dicking around in... Is it Chicago? I don't even know, yeah. They're just dicking around um, in the city. And um, I guess just being tricksy and part of the team of tricksters mm-hmm. and just being cheeky and fun, I think I just found all of that very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I just find the whole thing with the car so stressful. <laughs> I cannot cope. Like, it's, like I just, I just remember like being a teenager and like the idea of anything happening in my house. Like, I'm sure I remember my friends like spilt something and I had like an army of like six people all scrubbing it while I was panicking <laughs> in the corner because I just the idea of taking that car like even now it gives me chills. Yeah. Like. I just and that's why I can't get on board with Ferris because I, I know he says at the end that he did it for Camry. Fuck off! Did you do it for Camry? Yeah, like, yeah. It's just, yeah. I find it almost like a horror film watching Ferris Bueller with the car. Yeah, I think he just gets super lucky. Like the whole story is just about how lucky he is. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel like he's actually worked anything out about anything. He just randomly gets a few lucky breaks. Like Cameron could have just been like we're not friends anymore. Like, I can't believe you forced me to do that. I'm never going to speak to you again. But just because Ferris is Ferris, he was like, you know what? I'm going to have a chat with my dad about how shit you are. <laughs> I just feel like the the age he is, he has to live with his parents. Like, unless you obviously get like social services involved. And he's, like, but like, I don't think he's at an age where he can confront his dad and like have that go well. Like, it's just, his life's going to get even more shit. Yeah. But the actor was like 34, so I think it, yeah, it just gives it like a weird air of maturity. Isn't he supposed to be like 18 or something younger? Yeah, must be. Yeah, and then the actual actor was way older. Well, what's his name? Um, oh God, what's the first, the first movie? Oh, what's his name? Shit. But, the, but you can see, um, in the first scene, maybe it's just because it was like an HD version I was watching, he's got like stubble. And it's, really? And it's just like, it, you're not convincing me. And I think I saw an interview with Mia Sara where she was talking about how she, she, I think she was the only person who was age appropriate on the set. Really? Making the film. And so I think she felt like a bit of a disconnect between it. Wow. I need to watch it again because that never came through. It's really kind of gross that the only um, sort of odd age difference that I knew about was Cameron being mm-hmm. older. So were you, in the same way that you were a fan of like fantasy films, were you a fan of teen films or John Hughes films or just Ferris in particular? Did John Hughes do like Uncle Buck and stuff like that? I don't know. Who did Wayne's World? I don't think that was John. I don't know. I've I've never seen Wayne's World. Who did, who, what did um, John Hughes do? Like Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles. Oh no. 
none of that shit. <laughs> none of that no. shit. <laughs> none of those classic pieces of shit. I know a lot of people, like, I've not seen The Breakfast Club in quite a while, but I know a lot of people who I respect who say it's a piece of shit, but I look on it quite affectionately. Really? Yeah. I've seen clips from it, and it's just never, never appealed. So, because in my head, it's quite tonally similar to Ferris. Like, what was it that appealed about Ferris? I think it's a little bit over the top in terms of what you can achieve as a kid skiving off school. Because he, like, you know, he gets on the float and sings and does all that kind of stuff. And they eat at that super fancy restaurant and then don't pay... And they're really snobby to the waiter. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're dicks. They're yeah. dicks. I hate Ferris Bueller. <laughs> they're cheeky. They're cheeky and lovable. No. <laughs> well, the, I say, but the, I, the thing that I really enjoyed this time is when he's shitting on Rooney. Like, mm. I, I, that stuff I find really funny. It's when he shits on anyone else that I find him irritating. Yeah. Because Rooney's such a cartoony villain. Yeah. He's almost like, um, what's it, like Wile E. Coyote, like kind of just constantly getting attacked. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. I think I think that's what I like about it because it's it's more cartoony than what Breakfast Club seems. I feel like I've seen clips from the Breakfast Club that are like quite serious and they're like having arguments. And then there's that bit um, where that is it called Johnny or something is like complaining about how his dad gave him some cigarettes for Christmas or something. It just gets like really intense. Um, and that kind of stuff just doesn't happen in Ferris Bueller. It's a lot safer and a lot mm. more sort of childish. Well, I think I read that John Hughes, they shot more serious stuff. And I think Charlie Sheen's character actually has a subplot and there was some other stuff going on that John Hughes cut it all out because he wanted it to be more fanciful. Really? Were, I don't know. If, I assume they deleted all that, deleted, they burnt all that footage, but it, yeah. they, they could have been a very different beast. Wow. Yeah, I think... That was a success for me. Because I feel like if it was too serious, I'd just been like, this is terrifying. I don't like it. Because yeah. when I was watching it uh, yesterday, I was like focusing on Sloane. And you don't really learn that much about her. Mm. Like you sort of get Ferris's life and Cameron's life. But she's kind of, she doesn't really have an arc. She's kind of... Mm. I don't know. She's just cool. Yeah. I don't know if it's the sort of gliding through it and being immune to everything that was nice. Also, she's very kind of, um, very, very caring when Cameron goes into that kind of catatonic mm. state, which is lovely. But also she doesn't take it as a massive deal that he was just like dicking around either. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, um, when he like sort of pretends to drown and stuff, Ferris Bueller dives in and he's like, Ferris Bueller, you're my hero and stuff. Um, Ferris Bueller gets really pissed off and Sloane's just laughing about it. Mm. I think that's nice. But yeah, I feel like with Cameron's character, he ends up being relatively one-dimensional because he's just like, scared of my dad. We can't do this shit. Oh, come on, Ferris, don't make me do it. Okay, I'm going to do it. No, I can't believe you made me do this thing. I'm scared of my dad. Oh, come on, I'm scared of my dad. Mm. Now the car's broken, I'm scared of my dad. And I'm also angry. I'm going to talk to my dad kind of thing. <laughs> so I feel like, yeah, I don't think he gets that much development either. Mm. He just spends the whole day worrying about stuff. And, yeah. Have you seen that internet theory where it's sort of like Fight Club, where Ferris Bueller is a fiction of um, Cameron's imagination? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and That's excellent. 
it is bullshit. So I was watching the film yesterday and I was like, we're spending so much time with these. Like, does that mean that Sloane doesn't exist? Who she's talking to? And yeah. she's like, there's a weird like brand of like film criticism where people see films as like puzzle boxes that yeah. need to be like worked out. I'm like, no, like, I don't think there's anything to do with that. I love stuff like that so much. It definitely doesn't make sense, but I like it. Oh, it's such an iconic film. I love it so much. I really wanted um, Cameron's jersey, like his red and white jersey Mm -hmm. with the, I guess it's like a a hockey thing or something. Um, I just thought it was really cool. Did you identify with Cameron at all, or was it all wanted to be Ferris? No, I thought my dad was like Cameron, okay, really similar, because they're both quite long people, <laughs> um, and just kind of a bit quieter, um, can be a bit grumpy, but not in like a threatening way, just in like a going to be a bit quieter way. Um, yeah, he wasn't scared of his dad like that, though. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think Cameron was a lot more my dad than me. I think because my dad also really liked Cameron and the actor. And, yeah, I think... I don't think I identified with Ferris. I just thought Ferris was cool. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like Ferris was me or like I wanted to be him. Yeah, I also thought he was a bit of a piece of shit. And I thought he was very rude and stuff. So Ferris's famous quote... Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Do you live by that philosophy? <laughs> Literally the opposite. Um, I'm so ashamed to say how opposite to my life that is. Um, I also hate that. <laughs> <laughs> it is the kind of like trite thing that you would buy in your yearbook at school. Exactly. I hate it so much. And what I hate even more is when people misquote it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I was watching, but someone says it and, like, misses a whole bunch of it. I was like, it's not even that. And it's a shit quote. But, um, yeah, no, I'm definitely not like that. (laughs) I feel like I've always had this sort of dread at how short life is Mm. and how huge the universe is. Mm. But for some reason, that just doesn't affect how I live. I think the universe thing actually affects me a lot more because it's like I'm so insignificant in the whole universe mm-hmm. that nothing I do really is going to make that much of an impact on the structure of anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to try and be happy and just do stuff that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And being happy does not involve stopping and looking around by like jumping on a float and singing to everybody like that's not what my life involves <laughs> like stopping looking around at like a nice building or a tree it's perfect um and i feel like i you know what maybe i just embody it too much <laughs> <laughs> like most of my life is me just stopping and looking at things um so your life is always, was it those, that shot of camera where they keep zooming in on his face when he's at the museum? <laughs> yeah. And he's like looking at the, at the dots and the pen, he's like, I'm nothing. I'm yeah, that's probably a lot more accurate. Yeah, if we were going to take a quote, it would be just ellipsis and then Cameron's eyes, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I'll wrap up with 
what impact do you think Mia Sarah's had on your life and which of those <laughs> two roles do you think was more important? Oh my god. I think just in terms of volume, the Ferris Bueller one, because I've watched that one so many more times, um, I'd very ironically watch it while I was pretending to be off sacred school. And <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought um, that if I'm watching it this blatantly, then that means I can't be pretending. Because mm-hmm. if I was pretending, I'd have to hide it by not watching a film like this. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a very clever trick. But yeah, Sloane Peterson all the way. I just thought she was super cool. Just like the coolest cat that there was. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you.